Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, May 19th, 2022 edition. And I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have you for this hour to give you some wisdom, give you some facts, give you some perspective, and a lot of news. And each and every day, there's new news, new facts to consider. Some may change your strategy. Some may change your trajectory of your finances. Others and most you should ignore that most of those are are headlines. And I know it can be difficult in a time like this where there's data constantly, you have phone in front of your face, you have social media, you have, you have a lot of headlines. It's that's how most of us first encounter some sort of news event. It's by reading a headline. And whether that's economic or not, it typically invokes some sort of emotional reaction. Why? Because that's what they're designed to do. Headlines are designed to keep you reading, keep you listening, keep you watching. Fortunately, that's just pure marketing. And what you need is the actionable facts. And that's what I'm here to try to give you. The right perspective, the right data, so you can make smart investment decisions with your money. Something that eludes most people because of various factors, but a lot of it has to do with emotions, demands on you as an individual through work, family, friends, etc. But if you can kind of filter out a lot of that noise, a lot of the emotions, you can make smart investment decisions consistently. And that's what you need in order to build a comfortable financial future, financial freedom. That's what I'm here to help you do for this hour. In this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success, which means I'm here to bring you along in what we do. I'm not Kramer, not banging bells and whistles. Maybe they'll call me up one day and try to and want me to replace Kramer. <laughs> that, I don't know if that'll happen, but that is something that you have to understand is that Kramer is there for the viewers. 
the headlines are created for the viewers to keep people engaged. I'm here just to give you the facts as I see them, the unbiased answers and perspective of over 20 plus years of investment experience. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And that means you get to shape this show. The show, show is about you, not about me. It's about, I can talk about whatever's on my mind, but ultimately the most important thing is what's on your mind. And if you call, leave us a message. Oftentimes you're not just helping yourself. You're helping your fellow listener as well. I've learned throughout the years that if one person's asking it, many other people are thinking the same thing. So I encourage you to reach out right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. And if you're listening after hours, no big deal. I know a lot of you are. You can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's always 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey, Steve and Justin. Just calling because I wanted to know your guys' take on the ETF SPSM. It's a small cap uh, ETF. Just wanted to know for the long-term hold, uh, I have a small position in it and want to know what you guys think about it. Thank you. All right. This is the Spiders Portfolio S&P 600 small cap ETF. So just following the S&P 600 uh, index. Remember, a lot of these indices you might see, oh, that's S&P 600. That's just probably a slight variation of the S&P 500. No, not really. It's pretty much all small cap companies, whereas S&P 500 is, are large cap companies. Then there are mid-cap mid ETFs and various indices covering different parts of the market. For example, there's the Russell 2000, which is a different small cap ETF or sorry, small cap index, excuse me. And this is following the S and P 600 small cap. So probably a lot of overlap there. I haven't looked at that, but overall you're just getting exposure to smaller cap companies. Now, the good thing is smaller caps tend to lean less on technology. Only 12% of this portfolio is technology. Whereas if you're buying the S and P it's about 25%. 15% industrials where the S&P 500 is, I think, high single digits. Energy is about 5.8, whereas the S&P is closer to four and a half, five, I believe, S&P 500. So definitely some differences here and differences that I like. Near term, however, this is a tougher environment for small caps. Less access to capital, tend to be more leveraged tend to be less profitable, have worse balance sheets than the larger cap names, etc. And those things weigh near term. Now, long term, small caps, mid caps are going to do better than large caps. Just the nature of how these things work. They're small and mid because they have lower valuations. What does that mean? There's a lot more room for it to go up and less room for the valuations to go down. If you're worth hundred billion dollars, you could be put out of business. Think of Blackberry back in the day. I don't even know where that peaked out valuation wise, but you know, it's worth next to nothing now. And so when you're a very large cap company, that's something that, you, you know, there's more downside and there's less room for you to, to go up. You can go from you know, two, $3 billion valuation to 30 billion 
a lot easier than you can go from 300 billion to, you know, 3 trillion, for example. Okay. And so the numbers work out long term. If you're a long term investor, you want to be invested in smaller companies, mid cap, small caps. And this would be this would qualify. I'm pulling up uh, BlackBerry. I want to know what its market cap is. Right, here we go. Current market cap of, of BlackBerry, $3.4 billion. Going all the way back, it topped out at $83 billion. Think about that. Down over 95% in value basically since, was it 2008? June 2008 was when it, uh, it peaked out. So that's a good example of how large caps can kind of erode capital over time and there's limited upside. Now we have good news for Invest Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to caller questions at a faster pace. We recently posted our April Rapid Fire Hour with 30 caller questions in a row, rapidly. Head over to investtalk.com as well as iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play to find that episode. Now the Invest Talk phone lines are open, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on the story. Millennial and Gen Z workers are plagued with cost, plagued with cost of living fears. So we're going to dig into that story. And what's most interesting about this is that, guess what? We're entering a, a world where the majority of the population is going to be millennials and Gen Z. Baby boomers, they are in their, you know, entering their geriatric years. And some of the oldest baby boomers, most of them are, are passing away. And so quickly, we are entering a new demographic regime here in the US and globally, especially China, Japan, Russia. Those are large countries that are having terrible demographic issues, meaning shrinking populations. Luckily here, we don't really have that as bad, but certainly uh, different. But I think the story is interesting because this is the future of our world, millennials and Gen Z. 
and what they value and the way they look at the world will be vital to you know the next 10 20 years as we reshape uh, our, our economy uh, and the deglobalization that is occurring today. So I really want to look at that story. Also, the stock market declined this year. Guess what? It's driven by eight stocks. Eight stocks account for 6.82% of the 13.7% decline this year. This is as of Tuesday. Okay, so it doesn't include yesterday's sell-off. Eight stocks. So we're going to look at those eight stocks. Which ones are they? And just unpack for you why the large indices, the S&P primarily, are so top-heavy. So we're going to look at that story. Then also, subprime borrowers are starting to miss some payments. That's always interesting to see that trend start to reverse. So we're going to look at data there. And then lastly, Elon Musk, he calls out ESG as an outrageous scam after Tesla was removed from the ESG index, the S&P ESG index. Thought that was an interesting story. And you know my feelings, Hope most of you know my feelings about, te about Tesla and Elon. So we're going to look at that. But let's take a look at the market today. We had a very uh, kind of a, a modest down day after a big, big reversal yesterday. S&P was down 22 points, about two thirds of 1% compared to the type of volatility we were used to this year. That's a very modest down day. And if you look at the NYSE, the more broad indices, eight down 8.6 points, really a flattish day overall. It's that's kind of how you characterize it. If you look at the NASDAQ, which has really been taking it on the chin most, that was down 29 points. So about two tenths of 1%. So really a very modest down day. So not a ton of follow through from yesterday. We're not getting a lower low quite yet from last week. So I thought that's interesting to see, you know, can we close this week at least uh, positive? I think we still have a chance at that. We're roughly, well, I guess we're down on the week on the NASDAQ. Let's take up the NYSE. Uh, one, two, three, four days. Yeah, we're still down, but you know, we're, we're it's not a big down week. Um, right now, we'll see what tomorrow brings. Remember, it's option X. So there's a lot of whipsaws, there's a lot of game playing, etc. And don't be surprised if you see more fireworks tomorrow, and that could be on the upside as well. Now let's swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a call that came er in earlier from Chicago on 888-99 chart. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Daniel in Chicago. So someone on Twitter was talking about investing in the ETF JE. PI Jeppy. And my thought was this has only come about since May of 2020. So it's not even two years old. Question being, if you are invested in an ETF and that ETF goes away or disappears, what happens to your money? Does that come back to you? How does that all work? I would love to know. Thank you. All right, that, this is the JP Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF, JEPI. And from the looks of it, it's probably a covered call fund. Uh, we've had, I've talked about covered calls. We operate a covered call strategy. And it's the most important thing is the underlying stocks that it owns. Uh, so I have to look at that breakdown. 
it's I think it's it's premium is inflated. So I wouldn't go based on that uh, that, that dividend that you that it's saying you're going to get. Um, there's some leverage there, et cetera, and I, I don't like that. So this would not be a name that uh, I want to uh, you know get in because uh, I do think that yield is a bit inflated. Now, if this goes away or any ETF goes away, does your money go away? No. There's always a net asset value. Any fund, whether that's a mutual fund, whether that's an ETF, there's something called a net asset value. And that's the money you're entitled to. And so if they close up shop, they'll liquidate it, give you back your net asset value. We're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point today is based on the story. Millennial and Gen Z workers are plagued with cost of living fears. And this is a survey of well, nearly 15,000 Gen Z and about 8,400 millennials across 46 different countries. Because that was, that was interesting as well, that this is across a lot of different parts of the world. Now, over a third of millennials born between January of 83 and December of 94. And 29% of Gen Zers born between 95, January 95 and December 2003, they report cost of living is the biggest concern these days. And that was of the list, those were the biggest that they listed. And one major issue is that wages are not increasing as fast as inflation. So non-farm employees were paid $31.85 on average in April. That's up 5.5% year over year. But inflation is at 8.3%. And with personal savings rates back to where we were pre-pandemic and stimulus programs basically gone, that's a challenging situation. So putting pressure on their pocketbooks and roughly three in 10 members of these generations feel they lack financial security because of it. Nearly half of them pay, live paycheck to paycheck. And only 31% and 26% of Gen Z, sorry, 31% of millennials, 26% of Gen Z believe they won't be able to retire comfortably. Now, granted, most of them are ways away, a couple decades at least from that. Uh, but they probably feel that they're behind the eight ball because of this inability to advance their paychecks beyond that level of, of inflation. Now, the good thing for, I think, these generations is they're the largest workforce now. Now that half of, millennia, half of baby boomers are now retired, especially post-pandemic, and they have more bargaining power. Gen Z and millennials have more bargaining power to raise their wages. The question is, will they be able to do it effectively, consistently, and go beyond the rate of inflation. So far, they have not. But as labor supply continues to shrink, I think they're going to come into more bargaining power. Now, roughly three quarters of Gen Z and millennials believe that the wealth gap in their respective countries are widening 
and only about 28% of younger workers believe their current economic situation within their country will improve over the next year. So a lot of dire feelings, which feeds into consumer spending. And what are they doing about it? Well, some are getting side hustles. 13% of Gen Zers and 15% of millennials have a part-time job or a side hustle. It's a second job or a side hustle. And they're also moving. 40% of millennials and a third of Gen Zers report remote work has helped them save a lot of money. So a lot of them are trying to move into professions where they can work remotely and then move out of state, out of their area into cheaper parts of the country. And I think that's going to be a continual trend. And that's why I want to talk to people about uh, real estate prices. It's definitely becoming more bifurcated than it had been in the past. And the trends of real estate prices that you're used to over the past few decades, I think that's going to change in a dramatic fashion. And you saw that with that big burst post pandemic, post lockdown, saying, hey, I'm getting out of California, the West Coast, Northeast, the expensive areas into the gateway cities. That was just the beginning. Now it's going to be a slow, continuous trickle. And these surveys are, are saying that that's how they're going to escape the inflationary pressures saying, hey, I can make the same amount of money, have a lower cost of living. This is my way to jump the ship, right? And get out of the, the perpetual wheel that unfortunately a lot of them are struggling under. So this was a great survey uh, and I'm always interested in them because like I said at the top of the show, this is a very important segment of our population that's going to dictate what happen what happens in the future. Let's go to Richard in the Bay Area looking at IEA, which is the Infrastructure and Engineering Alternative Fund. Is that what this is? Uh, yeah, IEA, it's an ESG. It's a, it's a company that does infrastructure projects for clean energy. Okay. Uh, and I had it, and I sold it when it's a bit higher, and it went down very low. Uh, and then in the past week or so with the... Um, uh, with the rebound, uh, it did very well, and I'm fearing out missing out. So mm -hmm. uh, it, the numbers seem to be okay, um, except the free cash flow, uh, which is expected from of this size of company. And I'm wondering what you're thinking about it, and if you would like it, at what uh, price you would get it. Well, this is interesting because it did have a big surge higher uh, during 2020 and 2021, I'm assuming it had a lot to do with the potential for the government spending on these type of projects, green energy projects. And I think that has waned significantly, especially with the multipolar world where it's going to be more difficult to source cheap solar panels from uh, China, for example. And it's just going to be more expensive to do these projects. And I don't think the government is in the mood right now you know, to, to spend a lot of money with inflation where it is. And then the cash flow is negative. So, and the chart is, is very negative as well. So I would not be touching this yet. Maybe on your radar, but not nothing I'd buy anytime soon. We're going to a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Let's go talk to Robert in Pittsburgh. He wants to talk about Apple. Hey, Justin. Yeah, so I'm a long-term investor in Apple, um, and I'm wondering, is now a good time to pick some more back up? It's down about 23%, and I still like the fundamentals of the company. Um, I don't think the higher interest rate's going to hurt them. I think they're kind of past their growth phase almost, kind of in that maturing phase. Uh, They're starting to pay out a nice little dividend. Do you think now's a good time to load up, or should I let it uh, keep falling a little bit more? Well, we like Apple. We think it's of the Fang names. It's by far the most stable, consistent business uh, of 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 them out there. And the issue, though, it, right now, I think, is the supply chain problems that you're having with 
out of Shanghai and, and in China. And then just going forward, they've been heavy reliant, heavily reliant on Foxconn and, and producing in China. Now, I know that they are setting up in places like India and other countries in, in, in uh, Asia that uh, are probably a little more politically stable. Um, but, you know, the, the main problem is that they are such a heavy percentage of the S&P and the S&P is in a downtrend. And there's a ton of different ETFs and funds that are tied to technology and FING and the NASDAQ. And they're a very heavy portion of that. And so in the short term, unfortunately, I think it's going to go lower, even though we like it. Uh, we have we've cut it back uh, a while ago as a percentage of our clients portfolios. So we still have it, but it's a kind of the lowest percentage we've had in a long, long time. Um, because we saw kind of the headwinds of of, of major tech and, and growth stocks. And uh, while Apple, you're right, it is mature in a lot of ways, uh, it, it was near the higher end of its historical uh, multiples it's trading at. Yeah, it got as high as 28.5 uh, enterprise value to EBITDA. Now it's at 17.8. But the long-term median is about 13.5. So I do think there is still another probably 10 to 20% downside from here. Uh, the next major support level on the technicals would be around 127, and it's at 137. So, you know, $10, $10 from here. That's the first area that I would think about picking up more if you are trying to add to it. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Alex in Orlando. Who wants to talk about Tesla. Hey, Justin. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm just wondering, what is your target price on that? When, I mean, when is a good entry point for Tesla? There isn't an, a good entry point right now. Uh, I mean, uh, $5 a share, $10 a share. I mean, this is, this is the most overvalued stock in history of the stock market. And it's it's not anywhere close to a reasonable valuation. In addition, you have the SEC inquiring about Tesla's books, their cash levels. They're unable to produce their, their uh, cash record, the records of the cash that they say they have on their balance sheet. Are they cooking their books? I don't know. Uh, but the bottom line is Tesla has never sold, uh, never been able to sell their cars profitably. Uh, all their, all their quote unquote profits are from selling, uh, regulatory credits and they're just a poorly run business. So nobody should be owning Tesla. It's a great short, okay, but no, there's no, it's, it has to be drastically lower and I have to clear up any uh, potential accounting issues as well. So, and what you see what's happening with Elon and Twitter, I mean, I think this is this kind of, I mean, he's made a 40 plus billion dollar bid for Twitter without doing any due diligence. It just shows you the kind of business person he is, doesn't think he, you know, flies by the seat of his pants. And sometimes that's a good thing, but more often than not, that it's a bad thing. Now he's very shrewd and he knows how to kind of play the media game and get people excited about Tesla and, and, and the future. But the reality is this is an environment that's about now um, and producing profits and cash flow today. And they're not doing that. And so, you know, a $734 billion market cap for a company that just doesn't produce any profit is just, you know, or any, any positive cash flow is just uh, ridiculous. So, uh, no, you should not be buying Tesla. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on that, touch a bit on what's driving down the market as a whole. So the S&P, as of, this is as of oh, the date, the 17th, so Tuesday, closed Tuesday, 
was down 13.7%. Now, Thursday was a much bigger down, or uh, Wednesday was a big, much bigger down day. So uh, pushed it down a close to 18% after that. But this is just basically looking at through Tuesday. And eight companies are to blame for over half, or nearly half, of the entire decline in the S&P 500. 6.82%, whereas the other 492 stocks account for only 6.92% of the decline. Which companies are those? Well, it's Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Google, and Facebook, along with Nike and what's the other one? There's one other one in here. Nike and Netflix, Netflix, NVIDIA. Oh, NVIDIA. There we go. Netflix, NVIDIA, Tesla, Meta Platforms, so Facebook, Alphabet, so Google, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. Those are the eight. They account for 25% of the S&P 500 heading into 2022. So they're responsible for 46% of the benchmarks total loss through Wednesday. Netflix down 70%, Facebook uh, and NVIDIA down 43%, respectively. And the other five stocks have dropped between 23 and 36%. Now, the equal weighted S&P down about 13% versus 17 points, excuse me, 18.2, 18.2 through Wednesday. Now, why is this? Well, it's because the S&P was up 90% in three years that ended Last year, Apple, Microsoft, and Google were among the biggest contributors. Apple shares were up 81% in 2020 alone. Microsoft up 41%. Remember, the S&P, these are market cap weighted indices. Therefore, they have a much bigger sway on the total returns, both up and down. Now, the Russell 1000 value was only down 10% this year. The S&P, or sorry, the Russell 1000 growth down 27%. So you see that stark difference. And it's not just the tech stocks that are dragging down the indices. Target down 25% on Wednesday. Walmart dropped 11% on Tuesday. All because of profit problems, expected profit drops because of higher inflation, higher costs of fuel and transportation, etc., so there's multiple things that are weighing on valuations, higher, those are higher interest rates, and then higher inflation is weighing on corporate profits and the ability to squeeze out returns. Now the number of S&P, the, the positive is the number of S&P 500 companies closing at 52 week lows was at 136 last week. That's about a quarter of the, of the index the highest count this year. Now the percentage of S&P 500 stocks above the 50 the 50 day moving average was only 14%. That was the lowest since April of 2020. Now you might say, well that sounds bad. Well, that typically means it's oversold and therefore due for a bounce. Now does that mean the bounce is sustainable? That the bounce doesn't isn't just a bear market bounce? No, it doesn't mean that could certainly roll over once again, but near term, definitely oversold. Now let's pivot back to the Vestock Voice Bank that came earlier from Minnesota. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Matt from Minnesota giving you guys a call. 
Long-time listener, love your show. Thank you for everything you guys do. I have a question here. I've been just looking for a good quality stock to maybe pick up in these down times and have for a lengthy period of time. And I was looking under, um, I believe the site is called Whale Watchers, of top billionaire investors that do their investing and their stocks come out and stuff, they're reported. Anyways, a couple of the guys said if they could buy one stock for the rest of their life would be, ticker symbol is KKR. I believe it's an investment company or something, but KKR, and I believe they also pay a dividend. Is this a great company, or is this something you guys would buy and hold for the rest of your lives too, I guess, is my question. I haven't heard about it a lot, talked about in on TV or anything like that. I haven't even, I don't think I've heard you guys talk about it. So what's your thoughts and opinions on this stock? Would this be a lifetime purchase? Thanks. Look forward to hearing your comments on the next show. Bye. Well, there's a couple things that would make me say I would own something as a lifetime purchase. Now, it's, it's a very small list, uh, but a small list of, of number of companies. Uh, that's because... I really have to be comfortable with their their business and that it was an enduring business that isn't going to be uh, easily disrupted, that has stay, the brand has staying power, et cetera. So I think that's number one. Number two is the balance sheet. And then number three would be leadership to ensure that number one and number two stay that way. <laughs> uh, and so... KKR, which this is one of the largest or the world's largest asset manager with $470 billion in total asset center management as the end of last year. It certainly qualifies for size and I guess you could say respect within the industry. I wouldn't say though it has some sort of undisruptible competitive advantage. It's decent competitive advantage, but not undisruptible. So it doesn't check the box there. And then when it comes to the balance sheet, it has a lot of debt. It's highly levered. And that's why I wouldn't own this, especially in an economy that is slowing. And if you look at the history of the business, it is very up and down. And its free cash flow has been consistently negative. They've issued more and more shares pretty much every year. Yeah, I'm looking at the last decade. Yeah, they've issued only one year did share count stay flat. It's been up every year. And their leverage has definitely ebbed and flowed, but it's near a decade high. So I don't like that. I don't like the negative free cash flow. I don't mind the business. But it's a very cyclical business. And I would want, if I were going to own something for a lifetime, I want something that isn't that cyclical, that isn't going to have huge boom and bust cycles. And unfortunately, KKR is definitely one of those that's going to have those boom and bust cycles. And look at what happened in 08. The stock nearly went bankrupt. It was at $2 per share in 0809. So would have gone bankrupt if it wasn't for the miraculous liquidity injections by the Fed? Probably. 
So this, is it a bad business? No. Is it a business that I probably want to own as we're accelerating out of a rough economy? Sure. But as a buy and hold forever, absolutely not. Next, we'll go back to the best Invest Talk Voice Bank. So hang on. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I am calling with a question regarding real estate. I am thinking of putting a property on the market. It's in the Bay Area and wondered the real estate agent I am looking to use. I would want him as a um, dedicated agent, but I heard their firm does dual agencies where I guess one side represents the seller and then another person in the same firm represents the buyer. But I think the preferred way is just getting a dedicated agent for me to use and not go the hopefully not a dual agency. So I wanted to see what your thoughts are and I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you. Yeah, I probably wouldn't want the buyer of my property to be represented by an agent that is within the same brokerage as my agent. Too many potential conflicts there. Um, ultimately, I want my agent to be acting in my best interest. And when you have two sides, you, ha you have the same agency uh, on both sides, you don't know what's talked about, uh, you know, in, inside their walls. Uh, and whether that action is beneficial to you or not. Now they have a fiduciary duty to represent you uh, as well as represent the buyer in a reasonable manner that's in the best interest of, of both of you. So I would want somebody separate, to be honest with you. So I would go and you shouldn't have it should be on the market, right? You should look at multiple offers, have multiple people look at it. You shouldn't have a pocket listing. And it sounds kind of what you're talking about. I think pocket listings are questionable in their... Just, it's just questionable. I, I wouldn't want... I want my property out there for everyone in the market to see so I can get the best price. Let's just say that. Now, next Invest Talk, we'll dig into the story a down market survival guide for pre retirees. If you're within 10 years of retirement, there are strategies that can help you improve your situation and your peace of mind. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 99Chart. The stock market is volatile, it's constantly changing. So, how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hi, this is Andrew from New Hampshire and thank you for your show. I learn a lot. My question for you is about 
Unum, U-N-M, the insurance company. And my thesis for owning this company is evolving to one of strength for as an investment because of rising interest rates to potential weakness as a result of the potential for recession and the impact on uh, employment and therefore their premiums. So I'd appreciate your thoughts on Unum as a position. I hold it now and am considering selling given it's near its 52-week high and taking my profits. Thanks. Take care. All right. This is Unum Group and provider of group and individual income protection insurance products here in the U.S., the, in the U.K., Poland, and some other countries. It is the largest domestic disability insurer, and most of the majority of it, the premiums generate from employer plans. And the company has I mean, it does have long-term care insurance, life insurance, but it's mainly about disability insurance. And when interest rates are going up they can invest the premiums into higher yielding assets. So that's typically why insurers do well. And this has done well, it's near a 52 week high. Now you're worried a bit about saying, hey, there might be more layoffs and therefore more business lost. And I'm gonna say there's some truth to that, but I still think the labor market's going to remain structurally tight. We've talked about baby boomers retiring in mass and that's a big reason why you have unemployment rates very, very low. So I honestly, I don't have a problem with this. Sure, there might be some near-term weakness, but it's a, it's a good business, good, consistent, long-term profitability. The technicals are absolutely fine. Good, consistent cash flow. Dividends growing and consistently increase that dividend. Now, return on equity, not blowing the socks off, high single digits, low teens on average over the last decade, but solid. So I, you know, I think the higher interest rates outweigh the small worry about layoffs. And I think the layoffs are gonna be more concentrated in tech startups. I think those, yes, there's gonna be a lot of layoffs there and that's gonna weaken parts of the country certain sectors, but in general, we need more workers, not less. And so I just don't see unemployment rates skyrocketing to a level that they're going to struggle. So I still like UNM. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on the loan market. Consumers with low credit scores are falling behind on their payments on car loans, personal loans, credit cards, at a rapidly increasing rate. In March, those delinquencies rose month over month for the eighth time in a row. And they're almost back to pre-pandemic levels. And that's really the crux of this here, is that those record low delinquencies that you saw late in 2020, early 2021, where the consumer was in a lot better position because of stimulus packages and, and just people paid down debt and it was easy for them to stay current on their debt because the government was handing out checks and unemployment uh, benefits were free flowing and that's starting to shift in a big, big way. Now, is it to levels that are worrisome? No, 
while lenders are saying that delinquencies are 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 going up from artificially low levels. And this is more of a normalization. And delinquency rates are getting back in line with pre-pandemic levels. Some are saying that delinquencies, while growing up a lot, month over month, remain below their first quarter 2020 levels. Another thing is, a lot of those subprime borrowers, it's a lot smaller cohort. Last year, only 15.5% of borrowers had credit scores below 600. While in 2020, that was 18.6. So a lot of people have improved their credit scores over time. So what this is most important is if you're looking at companies and you're looking at their earnings, understand how much of those earnings, especially if you're uh, banks uh, that lend in the uh, credit card space or just in personal loans, think of all the personal loans that have been handed out. Those are companies that have been over earning and these higher delinquency rates are going to start hitting earnings and they're going to go back to kind of pre-pandemic type of earnings levels. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And it's official. The Invest Talk download count has now exceeded 41.5 million thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.